0: guys. Well, glad to have you guys all here tonight. Excited to get back into the word. So let me pray and then we'll just get right started. Father, we do thank you for This opportunity that you've given to us, Lord God, we thank you that you have gathered us as individuals into the body of Christ, Lord, and that we grow alongside of one another, that we encourage each other. And Lord, that when we dive into your word, when we study scripture, Lord God, that is your means of grace. This is your revelation to us, Lord God. Your spirit works through these very studies and so God I do pray that your spirit will be at work this evening that you'd be helping all of us to not only better understand your word on an intellectual level but Lord on a spiritual level and in a way that impacts our day-to-day living and our assurance of faith before you Lord God I pray that you would be building us up fortifying our hearts and building us in maturity and it's in Jesus name we pray amen amen all right so we've gotten into the new covenant era. Uh, we talked the last few weeks about Christ and you know the way that He ratified the covenant by His blood and implemented it. Uh, last week we talked about the blessings and the fruit of the covenant that when God, you know, He uh, He gives us that new heart, He causes us to be born again. We are in Christ, and then everything that follows from that. And so tonight we're gonna. Kind of go back to the theme of the mystery of Christ that we 've talked about throughout this study, and uh, the book that i 've used you know largely borrowed from for this study, I think he does a very nice job of highlighting this mystery of Christ and the theme of the mystery that goes throughout scripture, and so that 's what we 're going to talk about tonight is how in Christ all the mysteries of the Old Covenant are fully revealed, and then the impact that that had on the Jews of his day and, you know, on the Gentiles as well. Um, So if you guys want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, that's where we're going to start tonight. And when we talk about the mystery of Christ, what we're talking about is that throughout the Old Covenant... God's plan of redemption was being revealed, but it was being revealed in an obscure way, and it wasn't until Christ arrived and proclaimed that the kingdom is at hand and especially particularly after the resurrection and ascension of Christ that all of those shadows and types of the old covenant became fully visible and you could understand what all of them meant all along so that's what we mean when we talk about the mystery of christ and the shift from the old covenant to the new had radical implications on you know jew and gentile alike so like i said ephesians 2 beginning in verse 11 we read therefore remember that at one time you gentiles in the flesh You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, through the gospel so we'll end there for now and so you see there paul talking to the gentiles and emphasizing that previously you were separated from christ without hope without god in the world you were in darkness you were the uncircumcision but now something has happened where now you are United with Christ. And there he says at the end that this is the mystery of Christ, that the Gentiles, along with the Jews, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promises of the gospel in Christ. And so what we have, though, sometimes when we see these things and you see such a radical shift in the way that God is working We can perceive that, or some may perceive that, as God is adjusting, God's changing his plans. The reality is that God has always, from all eternity, had one overarching plan throughout history. And that plan that we've talked about time and again is to establish his kingdom in creation through Christ and to dwell among an elect and redeemed people in his image. That has always been the plan of God from the beginning. It's not that he has different plans for, you know, one plan for the Jews and one plan for the Gentiles. It's not as if that God has to change his plans based on human behavior, that God has to adjust based on how his creatures act. This has always been the plan which is designed ultimately to bring a blessing to the whole world and to bring redemption and the restoration of all creation. That has always been the one plan of God. So on the one side, you have the eternal plan of God that is unchanging, that he has been working, planning towards, building towards. And then on the other hand, though, this plan is revealed as a mystery throughout the course of history. It's not... Um, it doesn't come all at once. It comes in stages and, you know, in at times more obscure than at others. And it happens in real time through history. God is doing this. And so you have Israel, who is, you know, God's chosen people, the descendants of Abraham. And they received throughout their history pieces of this plan, pieces of this mystery as types, shadows. Symbols in various people, in different institutions throughout their history, but ultimately contained within Israel, within that old covenant order, was the full and final plan of God that would appear at the fullness of time, at the proper time, would appear plainly as a blessing to all the nations. So that's the reality of You know what God is doing, what he had been doing throughout the Old Covenant. And the thing is, the entire Old Covenant, everything about it, all the leaders, all of the institutions, all of the events, all of them were a means to God's ultimate end. They were not the end in itself. As we go through tonight and next week, we're going to see that that was the big mistake that the Jews made in Jesus' day and in the Apostles' day, was that they thought that the Old Covenant was it, that this was the thing. But in reality, everything about it was simply a means to God's ultimate end of bringing his kingdom into creation. And we've talked about this, and we'll talk about it a little bit more tonight, that every part of the Old Covenant was designed to draw attention to Um, you know, to draw the people's attention to the blessing that was going to fulfill perfectly everything that the old covenant um, was able to do incompletely. And so, you know, we've talked about the sacrifices and we've talked about the temple and the tabernacle and the kings and all the shortcomings with all of those things. They were good and they had real use and real value. They were real blessings, but they were designed to bring the people's attention to that promised ultimate blessing that god was going to bring into the world and it was going to fully realize everything that these things approximated does that make sense and so it was it was israel as god's ordained covenant people who were his appointed means of bringing the messiah into the world bringing the christ the king over the kingdom into the world um It was this, you know, specific Jewish people who were going to bring this specific Jewish Messiah into the world. And yet, ultimately, being Jewish had nothing to do with whether or not someone could receive the blessing of the Messiah. And again, that was the big mystery that's what paul says in ephesians that we just read that this is the mystery that it's not just for the jews but it's for the gentiles also but even though the messiah who was brought into the world as abraham's offspring a jewish messiah for a jewish people and yet to enjoy the blessing of the messiah has nothing whatsoever to do with being jewish that was the you know the big mystery that was hidden throughout all the ages, but at the proper time, God revealed in Christ. And so, from the beginning of the old covenant, the—if you guys think all the way back to you know the the classes we did on Abraham, the promise of God to bless all the nations. Through Abraham's offspring was present. That was one of the very first things that God said to Abraham: "In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed." And so you have this, you know, kind of seed form of the gospel in this proclamation to Abraham that he is going to, you know, from his offspring the nations will be blessed. That was always a part of the old covenant. Uh, you know. M- order i guess you could say you know that that end goal of the blessing to the nations was always there and yet throughout history it became very very easy for the jews to forget about that part of the blessing, the main blessing, that they were going to bless the nations. It became very easy for them to forget about that because God worked so uniquely, so specifically, and so particularly in Israel. The other nations, it's... Hard for us to understand this now because we live in such a connected world and Christianity has had such an impact on the world. But throughout the old covenant period, the other nations, that was the outer darkness. That was that that was, you know, there was no light there. It was just deep darkness, no understanding They had no knowledge of the true God. They were, you know, not even a second thought to the Jews practically because they were just in that. Depth of darkness. The Gentiles were seen and, you know, under the Old Covenant were unclean. They were outside of the covenant. They were uncircumcised. And, you know, for the Jewish mindset, you know, if you think about the Old Testament, All the rituals, all the cleansings, all the sacrifices, everything that the Jews had to go through to even somewhat dwell in the presence of God. And even then, only the high priest could go into the holy place and him only once a year. So even to be kind of in the uh, derivative presence of God for the Jews, you had to go through all this cleansing, all these ceremonies, all these rituals. The Gentiles were nothing. They were unclean. They couldn't even begin to draw near to God um, unless they were going to go through, you know, the whole process of becoming Jewish. They were going to be circumcised. They were going to observe all the ceremonial laws. And also all the expectations that built, you know, we talked in this class about kind of the messianic expectation that built among the Jews, especially during the period of, you know, the kings and the exile. That expectation, so much of it seemed so uniquely, you know, for Israel. You know, it was going to be... a king from the line of David who was going to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem. It was just so focused on Israel. And again, even if a Gentile wanted to become a covenant member, they had to become a Jew. They had to be circumcised. They had to go through the rituals. And so the expectation that had built for the Jews as we enter into the New Testament period, uh, it became very much the same as how it had always been. They were thinking their mindset was on all that they had ever known. Well, you know, the Gentiles are welcome to come and join us, but they've got to go through all these rituals and all these processes. That was their mindset. And so they were expecting a Messiah, a king who was going to come and who was basically going to do the same thing that David had done, only on a larger scale. That it was going to be, yes, the nations were going to be able to come, that there would be peace, that people would flock to Israel, but it was going to be Israel. It was going to be what they had always known. It was basically going to be a re of the Old Covenant kingdom with the old covenant order going on in perpetuity they had no concept that god was going to do something radically different from what he had done with them and so to them the way to god was was and always would be through jewishness through being jewish that was the way to god and to them that was the only way to god do you guys have any questions or anything so far all right, so Jesus arrives, and you know he comes as the Messiah, he is the revelation, he is the fulfillment of all the shadowy mysteries throughout the old covenant, um, and Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom first to the Jewish people, and that's very intentional and very important for us to understand that the Messiah was the natural birthright of Abraham's offspring, The Messiah coming into the world was a promised blessing of the old covenant. We've talked a lot about God's promises of the old covenant. One of them, the big one, is that through them would be this blessing to the nations. And so he belonged to the Jews, in a sense, that this was their birthright. This was their inheritance. This is what they've been promised throughout their whole history, this king who was now here. And so Jesus came proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom to the Jews. And for the first time in history, was bringing to Abraham's offspring, the demystified gospel, the full gospel without any of the types and shadows filtering it. It was The plain, clear light of God's plan of redemption through Christ to the offspring of Abraham. And Jesus was mindful of his particular mission to the Jews. If you guys turn to Matthew 15, Jesus has an encounter with a Canaanite woman. And we see the way that Jesus responds and how he understood the nature of his mission was to proclaim to the Jews, to God's old covenant people, that the new covenant, the new kingdom had arrived and that they were to receive that kingdom. Matthew 15, um, beginning in verse 22. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus does go on to grant this woman's request. But we notice Jesus, his you know initial response and you see this throughout is that he was sent to the people of Israel. He says the same thing to the Pharisees. He says I do have other sheep who are not of this sheepfold that he is ultimately he knows that the Gentiles are coming, but first and foremost he was to proclaim the gospel to Israel. With the woman of the well at John 4, Jesus says something similar that the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor anywhere else does it matter that people are gonna worship God in spirit and in truth. That salvation, though, is of the Jews, meaning that the Messiah comes through the Jews and he comes to them, but ultimately, it's not gonna matter where people worship God, what matters that they worship him in spirit and in truth. But Jesus was mindful that he had a particular mission to proclaim to the Jews the arrival of the kingdom. Paul says in his letters that, you know, Jesus came to bring salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is to the Jews first. Um, Jesus, when he, before he ascended, he commanded his apostles to bring the gospel to Jerusalem, to all Judea and Samaria, and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. But first, it was to Jerusalem. It was to the Jews. That's where they were to begin. This was their birthright. This was their inheritance. And even... After the apostolic ministry had begun in Acts, it took a vision from God for the Jews to understand that the Gentiles were also a part of this. You remember that God revealed to Peter all the unclean animals and said, you can take and eat these now. And then, you know, God poured out his spirit on the Gentiles. And the Jews said, well, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that I guess the Gentiles are a part of this thing, too. That's it took that radical revelation from God for the Jews to understand that it's not just for us it's also for the Gentiles but it began with them and so as God's old covenant people the Jews are the first to receive the offer of the new covenant kingdom through their Jewish Messiah again this it's important for us to understand that this was always God's plan it was always his plan that, you know, Jewishness, this is what it was all about from the beginning. Jewishness was about bringing the Messiah, bringing the blessing into the world. That's the whole thing. The whole point of the old covenant and all of its administration was to bring the blessing to the nations into the world. And so he was their birthright. He was their inheritance. And Jesus fulfilled everything that was ever promised to the jews throughout the old covenant that's the other thing to understand and that characterized so much of the apostolic ministry in the new testament you know paul he would go around to the different synagogues and he would argue from the scriptures that jesus was the christ how would he do that by showing that jesus fulfilled everything that was promised in the old covenant um, every single type finds its fuller meaning in Christ. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of these throughout, but just a few of the bigger ones just to kind of refresh us and get us in this mindset. um, You know, you think of the Passover lamb or the day of atonement and the atoning sacrifices that those, while they were ordained by God and served their purpose, they were clearly deficient to actually reconcile a person to God. They never made people truly innocent. They never made someone guiltless, forgiven of their sins. Although in Christ, who is the lamb of God, what do we have? The once for all perfect sacrifice who is actually effective in making us truly righteous. Unlike any other sacrifice of the old covenant, Jesus actually makes his people not guilty. Once for all, it's done. You think about the Exodus from Egypt that you know kind of glorious deliverance from the hand of God out of slavery but ultimately that generation of you know of Jews who experienced the Exodus died in the wilderness because this deliverance from slavery in Egypt didn't save the people from their slavery to sin in Christ we have a true Exodus that he leads out of the grave through the resurrection into glory freeing his people from captivity to sin and death. So in Christ, you have kind of the fuller meaning of the exodus coming to pass, where he does deliver us from sin, from death, and into glory through the resurrection. Or you think of something like the tabernacle or the temple in the Old Covenant. That's the the glory of the tabernacle and temple is highlighted. It's central to the entire Old Testament. It's the presence of God among his people— But we know, as I mentioned earlier, people couldn't actually go into the temple. Only the high priest once a year could go into the most holy place. The people were, they were all around the presence of God, but there was still that wall of separation. You couldn't dwell intimately in God's presence. But what we have in Christ, you have god actually becoming flesh and tabernacling among us that god himself emmanuel god with us actually comes and dwells intimately with us and now by his spirit dwells in us so you have this full unmediated access to god Jesus alone, you know, to his son through Christ, you have this direct access and fellowship with God that never happened under the old covenant. So all of those types, all of those institutions, all of those events, they were glorious and they were wonderful and they were necessary and they preached the gospel to the people in that day, but ultimately they fell short. They didn't actually reconcile anybody to God. Only Christ could do that. And so he came as the fulfillment of all of these promises, as the deeper meaning of all these types. And even if you go back to the original promises that God made to Abraham, in fact, just, you know, you can turn to Genesis 12, where God first makes contact with Abraham. And this is the foundation. Now remember, this isn't the implementation of the old covenant but this is you know these are kind of the the foundational promises that then become ratified when god takes the oath then when abraham takes the oath of circumcision but the major promises that you see to abraham that continue to be referenced throughout the old testament when they talk about god's promises and god's covenant you have these promises that are referenced um in verse in chapter twelve, verse one, God calls Abraham to go to a land that I will show you, that God first promises Abraham this land of his sojournings, that you are gonna leave your family and go to this land that I'm gonna give to you. And so you have Abraham is promised the land of Canaan. He's given this, you know, strip of land in the Middle East, but ultimately that's what it is. This it was this tiny piece of creation for righteousness to dwell. It was going to be this small glimmer of light in the midst of a world of deep darkness. That's what God promised to Abraham under the old covenant. But to Christ, what's the promise? I'll give you the very ends of the earth as your possession. I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. Jesus says that, you know, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. In Second Peter, we're told that we're waiting in new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, that God in Christ promises his people ownership, not of a little piece of land, but of the entire earth, that we are going to, uh, that, that the whole earth is going to be filled with righteousness. It's all going to be light. It's all going to belong to Christ and his people. That's the new covenant promise, that the kingdom isn't limited to this little piece of land. The kingdom is the entire The entirety of creation, it's not limited to one geographical location. The whole earth belongs to Christ and his people. Also promised to Abraham, he says that I'll make of you a great nation that comes with two promises. Offspring and kings. Those become more explicit later because if he's going to make Abraham a great nation, first of all, that means there's going to be a lot of people that come from Abraham. And if it's a nation, they're going to be ruled by someone. And so either they're going to be slaves or they're going to be ruled by Abraham's offspring. We've talked about this. So he promises Abraham kings that will come from his offspring. Abraham was to have a royal seed, rulers over the land that was promised him. But we saw all the deficiencies of all the kings. And again, very limited in their power and their authority. Under the new covenant, you have Christ, who is the king of kings. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to him. And his covenant people, all of us, we become a royal priesthood. That we, you know, we're told that we will, along with Christ, judge the earth. That we are given, you know, kind of royal um prerogatives as christ's people and so we're not it's not just you know kings over a geographical kingdom but an entire nation you know entire kingdom of royal priests under the king of kings who has all authority in heaven and on earth that's the new covenant reality and then lastly the big foundational promise of the old covenant was offspring that abraham's offspring were going to be as numerous as the sand on the sea as numerous as the stars in heaven were abraham's offspring going to be he was promised physical offspring from his own body and a glorious promise it was you know abraham literally became the father of a multitude but in christ you have innumerable more offspring who are the adopted children of God, not just the children of Abraham, according to the flesh, but we are the actual children of God. And Jesus fills the earth with his righteous seed by causing us to be born again through his spirit. And so you have all the, even the very foundational promises of the old covenant have a fuller meaning in Christ Jesus. And so you see the way that, you know, Christ fulfilled every single promise of the Old Covenant right down to, you know, those very basic foundational ones. But for so many of the Jews, do you guys have any questions or anything to add? Great. But for so many of the Jews, especially in Jesus' day, they missed all of this. And they missed even that Abraham himself was a type. Abraham was the father of their faith, right? He was their patriarch. From him, the rest of them came. And so they, you know, looked back at Abraham as kind of the original. But Abraham himself even was a type. And the fuller meaning of Abraham, you know, they they would continue to appeal to their descent, their bodily descent from Abraham. And yet the fuller meaning of Abraham was revealed in Christ, that those who were truly blessed, the ones who were truly blessed of God, weren't Abraham's children according to the flesh, but they were Abraham's children according to his faith. That was the truer meaning of Abraham. So turn over to Galatians chapter 3, and this again was the very thing that the Jews just missed. It went over their heads. They couldn't grasp it, it was too radical for them but it was always this was always the case that the way of being reconciled to God, it was never by being Jewish. It was never by observing the ceremonies, it was never by making the sacrifices. The way to be reconciled to God, to be delivered from Adam's curse was through the New covenant. It was by faith, in the promises of God, whether that the object of that faith was the mystery that God, you know, the, you know, that blessing shrouded in mystery, or looking back on the historical realization of those promises, but always, 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 the only way of being reconciled to God was through the instrument of faith. And so, Galatians three, verses seven through nine, Paul writes this: Know then that it is those of Faith, who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so Paul is saying that from the beginning always the the point of Abraham wasn't ultimately. His physical lineage, again, that's essential, that's important, and we've talked about that. We don't want to downplay that, yes, being born from Abraham's offspring had a huge amount of significance. It meant you were in the Old Covenant, but it didn't reconcile you to God, and that's what the Jews constantly missed. Being a descendant of Abraham was sufficient for Old Covenant membership. It gave the people a right to to the land. It gave them a title to those blessings that God promised to Abraham, but it did not inevitably or automatically make a person right with God. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. That's why God is able to say through his prophets that you're going through the motions, you're bringing the sacrifices, you're observing the ceremonial laws, but your sacrifices are a stench in my nostrils, that I despise your Sabbaths, and I despise your solemn assemblies, that I can't stand when you come to worship me because you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They were in the old covenant and they enjoyed a lot of the old covenant blessings, but they weren't reconciled to God because being of Abraham's offspring was never sufficient to make a person right with God. And you see the New Testament authors appealing to not Abraham's bloodline, but to Abraham's faith. They continually are quoting Genesis fifteen six that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul harps on that so much that Abraham, before he was circumcised, believed God. He had faith in God and that was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith that made him right with God, not his blood, not his heritage. And the same is true for every single person, Jew or Gentile, it's faith that makes someone right with God, not family lineage or bloodline. And so that's what the Jews, all from the beginning, and what I want you guys to understand is that this isn't some, like, yes, we've talked the last couple of weeks. The new covenant is new, it's different, it's better. It is different from the old. It's not the same thing. But It didn't come out of nowhere. It was preached beforehand. It was revealed as a mystery. And the Jews should have, they were being prepared for this. And so they should have understood this message when it came, but they missed it. They should all along have been imitating Abraham's faith. Throughout the whole old covenant period, they should have been imitating Abraham's faith instead of appealing to their circumcision and their sacrifices. It was always faith that made someone truly enjoy, you know, that reconciliation to God and ultimately the blessing that was going to come. And that was, you know, John the Baptist made this point in his ministry, when he said to the Pharisees, don't say we're children of Abraham. God is able to raise up from these stones offspring for Abraham. And it didn't matter that you were, you know, born of Abraham's flesh, that wasn't going to make you right with God. You still needed to repent and and, you know, put your faith in this Messiah. God is able to take again he said from these stones. He would take the Gentiles and make them children of Abraham in a more real sense than his physical children were. Does that make sense? Yeah, so look, you know, you said that um, the Jews, they missed it, but would it be more actors say a lot of Jews missed it, but not all of them? Yes, absolutely, not all of them. And of, of course, you know, Paul and the apostles and the thousands who were converted at, you know, Pentecost, but yes, generally speaking, the Jews of Jesus' day missed it. And we'll, you know, talk a little bit more about that, but yeah, you're right, not all of them missed it. um so that was john the baptist message jesus says something similar in john 8 he says to the pharisees that you know you say that you're children of abraham but if you were really abraham's children you would be doing the works that abraham did but you're not doing what he did that if they truly were you know in in the more real sense the offspring of abraham they would have been exercising faith in God. They would have believed in the Messiah. They would have received Christ as their king the way that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. But they proved themselves to spiritually be children of the devil instead of children of the living God and of Abraham's faith. So those unbelieving Jews, yes, they were abraham's offspring outwardly but in the deeper truer spiritual inner sense they were not abraham's offspring and the um the advent of christ his incarnation and his ministry were you know and the revelation that he brought of the new covenant and the new kingdom that these um it was these that showed that, um, that it was this faith that really mattered, that it was truly you know, faith in him that actually mattered, and that ultimately Jewish identification was not necessary to be made right with God. That was fully revealed in Christ. Again, it was always there in seed form. It was always faith that mattered. But when Christ came and he fulfilled all of those types and all of those institutions and all the ceremonies— that's what fully unveiled the mystery that it was faith all along that what that made someone right with God, not a Jewish identity. So look this is yeah. probably an unanswerable question in a provocative one. That's okay. It. So so why did God do it that way? Why start with the Jews when everyone was ultimately included? So I think part of it was Um, the fact that the world was thrust into such, you know, deep darkness after the fall of Adam and, you know, was just given over to such corruption. um, I mean, ultimately the answer is, you know, it's for God's glory. But I think that in part it was to, you know, during that time in context of, you know, all the paganism and the false religion, things like that, to have this, you know, kind of soul standout and it also teaches us with Israel and with God's you know choosing and setting apart of Israel, it teaches us about God's prerogative to elect his people by free grace, that God chooses his people for no discernible reason to us, that he chooses for his glory and good pleasure. So he chose uh, Israel to be a light to the nations. Um, and Set apart that holy seed that he was going to preserve this particular people. And again, we don't know. I think you're right. It's ultimately unanswerable. But it was at the fullness of time, according to his plan, that he brought, you know, the the son into the world and became incarnate in history. Um, and also, just to the whole of the old covenant teaches people about substitution, about sacrifice, about the fact that we can't make ourselves right with God, but we need, you know, something else to make us right with God. We need someone to serve as a sacrifice. We need a priest to mediate. All of these things, we need a king who's going to represent us in righteousness, who's going to defend us. All of these things, you know, were a long historical object lesson of, you know, how God was going to deliver all of his people. And so I think that's a big reason for it was to give that object lesson in this historical, geographical, you know, time and place. And I think that when we get to glory, and when we see all of history completed, that's, you know, because we could ask the same questions now, why is God at work in the world right now, the way that he is? Why did the Holy Spirit prompt Paul to go to Europe instead of to Asia? You know, and that's what set off the whole course of history that you know so we could always be asking the question why is god ordaining things certain ways and when we get to glory we'll see the way it all works together but i do think primarily to um to to provide that object lesson and also to show that god's ultimate plan is not just a little bit of righteousness in the world, but it's the whole world being covered in light. And you probably see that a little bit more gloriously when darkness covers the earth for so long and then the the drama of the light coming into the world and then the light kind of rapidly and amazingly spreading. So I would say something along those lines. I don't know if that fully Uh, answers the question. but Yeah, I mean, that's part of the idea with covenant theology and the reason why we're doing this class is because we should be trying to think in those terms of god's grand plan and the way that god unfolds and unveils his plan throughout history because you do see much more of god's glory when you see the way that history has this string that runs through it of god revealing his um his gospel and even you know You think about, okay, why did God start with the Jews and not the whole world if the whole world ultimately was it? Again, Christ came saying the kingdom is at hand. Ultimately, the kingdom of God, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, the kingdom of God means the whole restoration of the new heavens and the new earth. So why didn't Christ come and just do that right now? Why has it pleased God to use his people to slowly spread the light and the gospel of the kingdom throughout the world? You know what I mean? That God one of the principles that Jesus, I know I guess I'm going off on this a little bit, but one of the principles that Jesus lays down during his ministry is that, you know, you put a little bit of leaven and ultimately it works its way through the whole lump. You start with a tiny mustard seed and ultimately it grows into an enormous tree. And that's what you have in the story of scripture. You start with the tiny nation of Israel. You start with you know, the apostles after Jesus' crucifixion. You start with the gospel going around this small region and slowly it works its way to the very ends of the earth. And that's God God loves to work in that way. That's you know, that that reveals his glory. And Israel wasn't they were like a shadow of that elect. Like God talks about the true Israel. Yes. So that was in the Old Testament, that would have been a shadow of His elected people. Exactly. Yeah. People that would be that light, shine. Exactly, and and Israel was a real light. And they yeah. they were. They had they had they were the sole recipients of God's revelation. The righteous law of God and of His statutes and His dwelling place. But you're right, it's ultimately a shadow because it's now through us. We are one Christian in the world living as a christian is a brighter light to the nations than the glorious temple of solomon because we are you know the temple of god right we are being like paul said in ephesians joined together built up into a dwelling place for god by the spirit because god's glory and his character shines more brightly and more clearly through us than it did through the old covenant institutions so yes absolutely that was you know a shadow and it was preparing God's people and even us now that we can look back on that it prepares, it prepares us you know for you know what God is doing and even the kingdom of Israel itself is a small picture of what God's ultimate kingdom is going to be like. Um, you know we talked about when Solomon built the temple, the old covenant consummation and the peace and the rest that they had. That's just a picture of um, what. What it's going to be ultimately when Christ returns and and His kingdom is completed. But good question, good good discussion. So, because the object of Abraham's faith ultimately was the promised blessing that God had promised him, and because that blessing, Christ Himself, came, um, you know, was born out of the old covenant, it makes sense that the new covenant church is the natural successor to God's Old Covenant people because it's built ultimately on the same foundation. Turn to Romans 11. And there's a lot of questions that come up with this text and we're actually going to do our best next week to deal a little bit more in depth with Romans 11. But Romans 11, beginning in verse 11, Paul writes, speaking of the Jews, So I ask... I magnify my ministry in order to somehow make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Now, like I said, there's a lot there and we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of that text tonight what i want us to see is that you know so he's talking about the the root being the you know the jews and the branches that are grafted in are the gentiles but i want us to see that the the root of both Covenant. So both the old covenant and the new covenant is the same. They're both grounded in the promised blessing that goes all the way back to Genesis 3:15 when God said He's gonna send His deliverer, who is going to conquer the enemy, who's gonna crush the head of the serpent. That's the foundation, the root of both the Old and the New Covenants is hope in that promise. So, but many of the natural branches, that would be the Jews, they neglected the root. They forgot their whole purpose for existence, the whole purpose for the Jews to exist was to bring that blessing in the world, and they forgot, many of them forgot that that's why they were there in the first place. They neglected the root, and so they were cut off. But the Gentiles, those, you know, the wild olive shoots that he talks about, they were grafted onto the root through the only means that truly ever gave one life from the root, and that was faith in the promise. Does that make sense? Is that... You know, I know that's that doesn't fully explain that passage, but I want us to kind of get that, that both the old covenant and the new are rooted on that same promise that God is going to send his conquering king to defeat Satan. That's the foundation of both covenants, and always the way to get life from the root was through faith. And when Christ came, he exposed that many of the natural branches, many of the Jews, didn't actually have faith in the promises they didn't actually they, they weren't actually being nourished by the root so they were cut off and the gentiles were grafted onto the tree so yes jewishness was essential but it wasn't everything it was essential to bring the blessing into the world it was god's ordained means to set apart this particular people they were the 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 guardians of God's blessing, if you want to put it that way, they were to lay the cornerstone of God's kingdom. But once that was accomplished, Jewishness had served its purpose and there was no reason for it to continue. That's the whole thesis of the epistle to the Hebrews, that Jewishness had served its purpose and now there was no reason for it to continue. There was It was done. Once the mystery had been revealed, once the Christ had come into the world, once that cornerstone had been laid, all of the old covenant institutions were entirely unnecessary. That was the great mystery. And they weren't unnecessary because they were unimportant, but it's because they had served their purpose. They had fulfilled what they were supposed to. They had... Kept watch they had guarded the promised line they had guarded that promised blessing but that blessing coming to the world the types were revealed christ fulfilled everything and so now all of that was unnecessary and in the new testament era circumcision became the inflection point for all of this that became kind of the the flashpoint between the you know the jews who wanted to maintain that distinct jewish identity and the message of the gospel that said all that had served its purpose so you had in the new testament the people who are called the judaizers and these were jews who acknowledged jesus as the messiah they believed that jesus was truly the christ that he was the king that he was their long-awaited hope but They didn't want to allow specific Jewish identity to become unnecessary. They still thought that a uniquely Jewish identity was necessary to be right with God. They wanted to maintain those old covenant institutions um, because in their minds... And again, you have to remember, these were people who for the entirety of their history were taught that if you want to draw near to God, you need to go through these ceremonies and rituals. You need to be made clean. And so they, on the one side said, Jesus fulfilled all of that. But on the other side, they said, but we still need to keep these. We still need to maintain this Jewish identity. And so they thought that for a Gentile, if you wanted to be a believer, if you wanted to be made right with God, be a member of the covenant, then you had to become a Jew first, just like it was under the old covenant. If a Gentile believed in God and wanted to draw near to God, he had to be circumcised. He had to be cleansed. They wanted to maintain that. And so it was adding old covenant works in order to be to receive new covenant blessings in order to be made right with God. Galatians 5 If you want to turn over there, Paul addresses this. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So Paul is saying that if you take circumcision. If you say you have to do this one thing to become a Jew and then become a Christian, you've nullified all the work of Christ. You are saying that all of the old covenant law and institutions need to remain in force. The Judaizers were saying that in order to Get the blessings of the Jewish Messiah, you had to become Jewish first. And that is not the message of the gospel. That's why Paul says that this is another gospel. This is heresy. There's no life in this because it's making, it's it's calling all of the promises that were, you know, all the promises that we spoke of last week justification, sanctification, adoption, glorification, all of that. It's calling all of those into question. Um, by making it in some manner dependent on those old covenant rituals. And so it was threatening the gospel itself, the gospel of free grace through faith in Christ, who fulfills all of the old covenant rituals. And the reality that, you know, the, the Jewish people of the apostles day needed to understand was just like Michelle, you mentioned that the, you know, the, true Israel was always those who believed in the promises by faith. That was, they were truly God's people. And that's why we can say that we, as the new covenant church, are the true successors of old covenant Israel, because God's true people, the invisible church, the universal church, were always those who had faith in the promises, <clears throat> formerly the promises were wrapped up in the institutions under the old covenant as a mystery and that's why all of those were necessary but now in Christ they've been revealed and so participation in the old covenant institutions became unnecessary do you guys all get that? now that's on the one side The uh, you know Paul talked about Ephesians the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, the ceremonial law, circumcision, sacrifices, and all the rest, those became unnecessary. To maintain those was to deny that Christ truly fulfilled all of them. But this is not, this has nothing to do with the, you know, what we would call the moral law, or, you know, I think better put the creation law, God's law for creation, for all people in every era, for all time, that, that has always stood fast from the very beginning. We talked about very back at our first or second lesson, we talked about how there has never been reward attached to obeying God's moral law. It's always been, you know, we are obligated as creatures to obey God. And if we obey everything we say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was required of us. We don't deserve anything extra and so God's moral law has always been the same. It doesn't change just because we're in the new covenant era. It's always been the way of life, not the way to life. Does that make sense? So obedience to God has always been God's prescribed instructed way of life, not the way to earn life. So, just wanted to also make sure that we mention that. That's how we that's why we can say, you know, we can look back in the Old Testament and say Some of these laws are no longer in force because they've been fulfilled, but all of those moral creation laws absolutely still in force. And so, although, like you mentioned, um, Jane, many Jews did come to Christ. Many Jews were reached with the gospel by the apostles, however... A huge number of them stumbled over this Gentile inclusion. The builders rejected the cornerstone. That's what, um, you know, that's what we're told in the New Testament. They rejected Christ, that he became a stumbling block to them. And so in doing this, they ultimately missed the whole point of Jewishness. And you can see, you know, throughout the New Testament, the apostles and Christ are saying, you're a stiff-necked people. You're hard of heart. You don't have ears to hear. And when we understand... That they rejected the blessing that the entire Old Covenant existed to safeguard. The whole point of the Old Covenant was to safeguard this blessing, Christ, coming into the world, and they rejected it. And it shows the foolishness and the darkness that they were under, and truly that they were a stubborn, stiff necked, and rebellious people. Who the apostles were trying to reach. Ultimately, they prized outward Jewish identity over what it truly meant to be a Jew. As a Jew, you were a trustee of God's blessing to the nations. But they neglected that and instead they cherished the outward identity. And it was just a stumbling block for them. The fact that Jesus came to establish a new kingdom in which circumcision or uncircumcision didn't count for anything. The fact that he called Jews and Gentiles alike to the same repentance and the same faith. The fact that he made unnecessary all the ceremonies and all the outward things that set the Jews apart. All of this led to the Jews rejecting their birthright. That's what they did. They rejected their proper inheritance. And so the great irony is that the rejection that led to the new covenant being put into effect, right? Remember we talked about the new covenant was not put into effect until Christ's blood was shed. That's the That was the event that ratified the new covenant. That rejection, the Jews rejecting their own Christ, it led to, like Paul said, life for many and yet it also led to ultimate judgment on god's old covenant people and that's what we're going to talk about next week is the final judgment of god on the old covenant people do you guys have any questions or anything else to add tonight i was struggling with your very last bullet point here mm-hmm. on Was Jewish rejection necessary, but you explained it very, very nicely a a second ago, so thank you. Oh, well, perfect. I'm glad. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and Lord, sometimes we can do nothing but marvel at your wisdom. and. Lord, it's so true that we don't have your mind. We don't know your ways, Lord God. Your ways are higher than ours. And we can look at what you've done and what you are doing and wonder why and think that we might do it differently. But God, we are just awestruck by the fact that you weave together Through individual lives, you weave together centuries of history and nations and peoples, Lord God, into this grand, glorious story of your redemptive work, of you establishing your kingdom, your dwelling place in your creation. And God, we are so privileged to be heirs of this great inheritance and to be ambassadors of this glorious kingdom, Lord God, and spokespeople of this marvelous king. And Lord, I pray that we would live this life full of faith, that you are going to finish the work that you've begun, that you will bring this kingdom to its consummation. And Lord, that we would have full conviction that you have called on us to proclaim boldly to all people the gospel of the kingdom, to spread the light everywhere we go, Lord God. I pray that you would help us to do this, that you would give us zeal for this work, Lord, and that you would give us great faith in knowing that your spirit fills us. And so we are effective in the work that we do as we do it in faith according to your will. So God, fill us up, fill us up all the more with faith. In Jesus' name, amen.